We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. The man who addressed the congregation at my pastoral installation service at the Westside Alliance Church in Warren, Ohio, talked about what the church should expect from its pastor and what the church shouldn't expect. He warned the church not to take advantage of its pastor or require him to do things that he wasn't called to do. And then to illustrate, he told us how when he was a young pastor, an old lady called him up late one night and asked him to come over to her house. She sounded desperate, and he was worried about her. So he got dressed, and he went over to her house. When he got there, she breathlessly told him what she wanted. There was a skunk in the backyard, and somebody needed to do something about it. And she didn't know who else to call. Well, skunk removal was not on his job description, nor, if you're wondering, is it on mine. My calling, and the calling of the elders who serve with me, is to equip you for the work of the ministry, of service to God. Our responsibility is not to grow the church's attendance, though we love to see lots of people here. And it's not to grow the church's budget, though generous giving is an indicator of spiritual health. Our job is to grow you and ourselves, or better yet, to equip you and one another for service, for the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4.11 says, He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The immediate goal then is to equip. The Greek word translated that way is used in various scriptures in different, it's translated differently, to mend, to restore, to train, to prepare. But the overarching idea is to get someone or something ready to fulfill its purpose. The pastor's immediate goal is to equip all the church's people to participate effectively in the work of the ministry. That's the immediate goal. The long-term objective is to build up the church, the body of Christ. As far as the apostle was concerned, it's impossible to build up the body of Christ when only a handful of people are doing the work of the ministry. That's not the way God designed the church to function. He designed the church so that it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You, if you've become a follower of Jesus through faith in him, are one of those parts, and you have work to do. You and I need to be equipped, mended, restored, trained, prepared, all with a view to getting us ready to do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ can be built up. But this equipping is not just preparing a person for a job at church. It's about preparing a person for service to God. The goal is not to grow a spectacular religious institution 
but to serve a spectacularly merciful God. You and I get to be servants, ministers, assistants to the one true God. That's what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he started off this chapter in Romans 12. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, or as the King James puts it, this is your reasonable service. Now, how in practical terms do you offer your body to God as a living sacrifice? Verses 3 through 8 answer that question. In practical terms. You do it by offering your gifts to his church. You know, we can do the things we do, even the religious things we do, in service to God or in service to self. Of the two, God is a much better employer. Serving God fulfills us. Serving ourselves leaves us empty. Serving God grows us. Serving ourselves shrinks us. Serving God opens our lives to others. Serving ourselves closes us off from others. When we serve God, we receive a regular provision of hope. But hope is not part of the benefit package when we're serving ourselves. If the goal is to be equipped for the work of the ministry, then we need to understand what God wants from us. We need to see how we fit into the bigger picture of God's plan for the church. So I want to give you four principles this morning from Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. They're going to help us live this beautiful life of service to God. First principle is this. Think clearly about yourself and the role you have to play. Think clearly about yourself and the role you have to play. This comes first in this list of things because it's foundational. See, if your thinking about yourself is muddled, what you think about God and about your fellow church members is going to be muddled as well. So the apostle writes in verse 3, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God gives. Let me translate that another way. I say to everyone among you not to uber-think. Couldn't come up with a better word than that. Do not uber-think beyond what you ought to think but to think in a way that leads to clear-headed thinking. Paul wanted to impress us with the importance of our thinking. Almost every other word in the last part of that sentence is some form of the Greek word phronein, which means to think. He uses it four times in the space of ten words. The first of those four times is the one that I translated as uber-think. Uber is German, of course, but it's just the transliteration of the Greek prefix, pair that's used here. The word has the idea of elevating your self-image. Paul warns us against that because he knows we're prone to do it, and he knows how much trouble that can lead to in a church. He wants us to think clearly about who we are and about what we have to do. That means we shouldn't think more highly than ourselves than we ought. But how do we know if we're doing that? How do I know if I'm thinking more highly than accurate. Well, one clue might be that we want a position rather than a responsibility, a title rather than a task. We want to be a teacher, a leader, or a giver, or whatever the case may be, but we don't really like to teach and to lead and to give. 
I, I see my friend Gene Hopecker out here, who is president of Taylor University. I, I read once that lots of people would like to be college president, but very few people would like to do college president. If you find a role appealing because of how it looks rather than how it works, how it's titled rather than how it's tasked, you might be engaged in uber thinking. Now, you're sitting there saying, I'm not like that at all. If anything, I don't have a very good self-image. But you have to understand that the guy or gal who uber thinks is not necessarily the kind of person who imagines himself as president or author or motivational speaker. The uber thinker might not be out to impress other people with his or her abilities. And yet, he or she might think, well, I guess if I don't do it, nobody else will. I'm the only one who can do this. I guess it's all up to me. You ever think that way? I'm ashamed to say that I have many times And that's the kind of thinking that Paul is rejecting here. If the purity of the church or the safety of the world rests on my shoulders, the church and the world are in big trouble. I am not the only one who can do the things I do. Paul's way of phrasing this is interesting. In Greek, he has the word to think, then a preposition that indicates progress toward an end. So we might translate it this way. Think in a way that leads to clear thinking. We can't start there with clear thinking about ourselves, but we can move towards that, especially with one another's loving, gracious help. So, and to do that, you need to be connected to people, people you trust and people you love and people who love you. Think clearly about yourself. That means don't think too highly of yourself. And the, the great Frank Capra film, It's a Wonderful Life, you know the film? George Bailey says, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. I'm going to leave this little town far behind and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and I'll go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers and hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. That's uber thinking. And if you remember the movie, it left George dissatisfied for most of his life. Thinking clearly about yourself means don't think too highly of yourself, but it also means don't think too lowly of yourself. Some people habitually think, and it's a way of avoiding risk, I'm sure, and protecting themselves habitually think, well, I don't have anything to offer. I'm nobody special. I don't have any gifts. That's as dishonoring to God as the other. It shows a lack of confidence in him. If your purpose in life is size so that you can accomplish it all on your own, without the help of anyone else, your purpose in life is too small. God made you to be part of something bigger. So don't get in the habit of playing down your abilities and your worth. If you do, you'll be playing down God's abilities and his worth. Consider this African proverb. If you think you're too small to make a difference, try spending the night in a closed room with a mosquito. You can make a difference, and what's more, you must make a contribution. The work of the church of God, believe it or not, 
was planned with you in mind. Don't belittle your contribution. You don't have to be more than you are. But by God, don't be less than he made you to be. Now, if you're going to think clearly about yourself, you're going to have to faith think, which is what Paul means when he adds, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. If you exclude God from your assessment, if you ignore the fact that Christ died for your sins, if you approach your role in life and in the church from a materialistic, naturalistic perspective, you'll never think rightly of yourself. When you think about yourself, about who you are, where you are in life, and what you have to contribute, is that assessment characterized by faith thinking? Now, not positive thinking, not self-esteem thinking, in which God can be totally absent, but faith thinking, in which God is front and center. You cannot think accurately about yourself without also thinking about God. You are not, and you cannot be you without him. And that leads us to the next principle, which I've already alluded to. Realize that you're part of something bigger than yourself, something you cannot accomplish on your own. Verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and have received his spirit, are a part of the body of Christ through which he is acting right now in the world. You cannot be the body of Christ by yourself. When a Christian stands in isolation from the rest of the body of Christ, bad things happen to him or her. Just as bad things happen when a finger is isolated, when it's been severed from a hand. And that means two things. First, it's not all up to you. You're not the Savior. You don't carry the world or the church on your shoulders. And second, but just as important, it's not all up to someone else either. We are in this thing called the church, the most important thing on earth, together. You can't do everything, but you must do something. If we get this wrong, we're going to hurt ourselves and we're going to hurt the church of Christ. If I think it's all up to me, then I'm going to rob other people of the opportunity to serve and probably serve more efficiently, more effectively than I ever could. If I think it's all up to someone else, I'll fail to supply what only I can bring to the body of Christ. We each have a place to serve and a role to fill. If we're in the wrong place, you know what happens? We'll find that we're chronically dissatisfied. Or we'll rob someone else of his or her satisfaction. A whale, as Max Dupree put it, is as unique as a cactus, but don't ask a whale to survive Death Valley. We all have special gifts. Where we use them and how we use them determines whether we actually complete something. And that leads us to the next principle. The something we complete will involve the use of the spiritual gift God has given us. This is verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Now, a gift is not a skill, like playing the guitar or fixing a car, though your gift will often make use of your skills. 
And a gift is not a propensity, though your gift will incline you to participate in certain recognizable ways in the church. Your skills and your propensities are what you give to God. A gift is what God gives to you. God fitted you with a spiritual gift so that he can work through you by his spirit in a recurring way to accomplish his purpose. That recurring way will be teaching in one person. It'll be giving in another. It'll be helping in a third. It'll be encouraging in a fourth. There are many other gifts as well. When your relationship with God is healthy, he will work through you in a variety of settings with a variety of people, but in a consistent way. Now, two quick things about gifts. One, God gives them to you so that you have something to give to others. If you don't use your gift, you are robbing God's people. Now, our, our youth group just got back from their Mexico trip. Imagine that six weeks ago, you walked up to me after a service and you said, Shane, here's $500, I want, I want to go to the Mexico mission team. And I took it and I put it in my suit coat pocket. And that's where it is today, six weeks later, still in my suit coat pocket. That could happen. Or imagine that I decided I needed new fishing equipment. So I used that 500. Boy, how did I get that? I guess I'll go buy something with it. I would be criminally negligent at best and a thief at worst. If we forget our spiritual gifts or use them only to satisfy ourselves, we're spiritually negligent at best and a thief at worst. Two, when God gives you a gift, it is an invitation to do something with him, not to do something for him. If you're doing it on your own and not in dependence on God, you are not accomplishing what you could. You can still teach, and people may be impressed by your knowledge or inspired by your eloquence, but the lasting results that God intends from your teaching, they'll be missing. Okay? Next principle. Use your gift to the full. This is still verse 6. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. Notice, by the way, he doesn't say, if it's serving, let him teach. If it's teaching, let him serve. Don't be a whale in the desert. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. If you're going to use your gift to the full, you're going to need to develop it. Or maybe that's the wrong way of putting it. It's not so much that you develop your gift as it is that you develop into your gift. If your gift is teaching, become the best teacher you can be. Read about teaching techniques. Take classes. Pay attention to how great teachers do it. If your gift is giving, grow in generosity. Read about giving. Talk to others about it. Practice using your gift as often as you have the opportunity. Grow into your gift. I believe I have a gift of teaching. And I think God gave it to me many years ago. Though at the time I didn't know it. When I started teaching, there was a lot of room for growth. There still is, but I'm better at it now than I was then. We need to grow into our gifts. And there are two dynamics to keep in mind when it comes to using your gift. 
and both are important. Faith and proficiency. The faith dynamic means our gifts must be used in intentional reliance upon God. We're not doing this on our own. This is the way he wants to work with us and through us. The proficiency dynamic means that we must grow in our ability, our skill, technique, to use our gift effectively. Of the two, I have no doubt that the first is more critical. Trusting God is more important than developing proficiency. God will get more done for his eternal kingdom through an undeveloped teacher who trusts in him than through an impressive, inspirational speaker who relies on himself. But it's not either or. The person who trusts God will be the one who takes seriously his gift and does what he can to become proficient at it. So, principle one was think clearly about yourself. And you're going to need help with that. Principle two, remember and act like you're part of something bigger than yourself. This is not a do-it-yourself project. The Bible, as the great John Wesley put it, knows nothing of solitary religion. We are in this together. Don't be disconnected. Principle three, use your gifts. Develop them. Learn about them. Get training in them. Go to an elder or a deacon and say, what resources are there to help me grow into my gift? Find your fit. Don't be a whale in the desert or a cactus in the ocean. One last principle. All of this, finding and using your gift, being a part of God's bigger picture, thinking clearly about yourself, all of this happens in the context of community. We sometimes get the idea that the church is all about accomplishing a project. Even the project of evangelizing the world. But I think that all these projects, including the evangelization of the world, is all about fulfilling and completing the church, which is the apple of God's eye, the beloved bride of Christ. To be part of the church of God is the highest of honors and the greatest of callings. In this passage, when people come to this passage, they usually read the first two verses and stop there. Those are the ones that get all the press. But this whole chapter hangs together. The first part is about our connection to a merciful God in service. The last part is about our connection to brothers and sisters in Christ in love. And in between is this section, verses 3 through 8, which is about us. We are a bridge, a connector between God and others, and that connection is enabled when we use our spiritual gifts. In the book, God So Loved He Gave, the author tells the story of Justin Borger, a pastor from Chattanooga, and how he and his church began caring for a homeless woman named Tammy who lived under a bridge not far from the church. She was raped, and when the church found out what had happened, they took her to the hospital, they cared for her. After that, she started attending the church, and they began to give her vouchers so that she could buy food. But there was a problem. Tammy kept giving her vouchers to other homeless people so that they could buy food. So the pastor took her aside one day and said to her, 
look, I know you want to do this, and, and that's great, but we are giving these vouchers to you for you to use for yourself. And she looked at him and said, why can't I give too? And that's when he realized he was treating Tammy as a project, not as a person. He was always the giver. She was always the receiver. But that's not how God treats us. He doesn't treat us like a project. He doesn't give to us so that we can always be recipients, but so that we can also be givers, just like him. Our Father wants us to be just like him. And he gives us the great honor of joining in his generosity. And one of the chief ways he does that is by giving us spiritual gifts. Use them. All right, let's pray. And I'll give you just a moment before I pray out loud to ask God if he's saying anything to you this morning and listen to what he says. Father, for the sake of the church of your son, Jesus. Employ the underemployed. Reposition those of us who are in the wrong place. Wake up those who are sleeping and put us to work. Lord, grant us great camaraderie of spirit and great love and affection for each other and for you. For the sake of Jesus.